0: Welcome to Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. Thank you. I'm Guy from Guy's Shop, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hui Huen, also known as the Alabama Woodworker.
1: Good evening, Guy. Good evening, Hui.
0: So this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account, and right now we have one level. And we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshop life. And stick around to the end of the show to hear what we got going on in our own shops. I don't know how much we have going on. It's like a week before Christmas. Less than a week before Christmas.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Six days. So anyway, so let's get right into it. We... The first question is yarn.
1: All right. So this question is from Kevin Long. He says, hi, guys. Thank you for the great podcast. I look forward to listening to half of your show on the coincidentally time drive to our local Woodcraft and the other half on the way home. That's wonderful that, you know, you get to enjoy something that uh, I love doing is shopping especially around Christmas, to go to Woodcraft and listen to us. You put out great information and humbly have the best show out there. Well, we really appreciate that, Kevin. I have a question about sanding mobs and don't know if any of you have experience with them. I'm currently making a large batch of contemporary door and drawer pulls based on Larissa Huff and Robert's uh, species? species species article in fine woodworking issue number 289 using walnut one of the last steps in the article says to further refine the shape and give the pull a nice soft quality we finish up with those hard to reach edges with a flap sander in the drill press i think what they mean is a mop sander um or a mop sanding attachment this sanding tool gives the pull a wonderfully tactile feel it I understand why they're calling it flap sander because the mop sander is made out of these like strips, uh, flap strips of uh, of sandpaper. Yeah, it looks like a mop. After looking at the sanding mops in the Klingspor catalog, I'm a little bit overwhelmed by the many options. I'm curious as to which grit or grits you might suggest to get that, oh, so important, wonderfully tactile feel. I also wondered if there is a particular manufacturer you've had success with. Thanks for your help. Kevin Long. Now, uh, I have no experience with a mop sander.
0: <laughs> Why the and hell take this question? I don't have any. I don't have because any I looked either. it
1: up, and it's a, and so okay. I actually read the article, and it's a great article. It's a, it's a very good article, by the way. It talks about making these like mitered contemporary drawer pulls. It's pretty cool, um, but I was kind of curious, like mop sander. What the heck is this thing? So I looked it up, and I found it in on Klingspor. I also found it on another website called oh gosh something. Um, I can't remember, but there were about two sources that I was able to find that had these mop sanders and they come as a starter kit. A lot of them, it's like uh this mandrel. And then you can also get these like sort of fabric fiberglass or plastic, uh, polyethylene plates that go on the outside, uh, uh between all of the, uh, that sandwich the mop essentially. And what that does is give it a little bit, Extra stiffness if you want to make a a harder, more refined edge. But really, what this article is talking about is kind of giving that, I like to say, like arts and crafts feel, which is like that kind of like rounded edges, a little bit like smooth and not quite a round over, but just kind of like that worn in feel to it. And um, I, like I said, have no experience with it. But knowing what I know about it, it looks pretty interesting. And I'd consider getting one. And if I were to get one, Kevin, I would probably get the starter kit with a 220 grit because what you can do is you can change out that mandrel. Uh, excuse me, you can take the mandrel and change out the grits on it. Now, I think if I were you, if this was something that after trying it one time, I really liked, I wouldn't change out the grits. I would probably just get two of them because it's about $50. And I would start Ooh. out with. for, you know, the mandrel and everything. $50 for that kit. And I would probably start with a 220 grip just because I think what they're talking about, the quote unquote, wonderfully tactile feel. That's a a subjective thing. Like, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. I I was wondering, too.
0: So what what size? So you're saying it starts at 220 and then goes up from there?
1: no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They make a kit that comes with 220 on it. Okay, so it's 220. But what you can do is you can get the different flaps at different gradients. So 80, 120, 180, so on and so forth. I would try at 220 just because for me, I don't see myself doing, if you read further in the article, it talks about how like, getting the more aggressive grits, he they suggest wearing gloves, because it's probably going to do some a number on your knuckles. I would probably start out with 220 again, because I sort of feel like I wouldn't be doing a lot of shaping with it. It'd be more like refining the feel on the inside and just making sure that I round over those edges, nice and smooth and nice softly. And I wouldn't want to go aggressively in terms of what this article is talking about with using the mop sander. Question. So, so
0: is this more of a sanding operation or a shaping operation? You have to excuse me, I know nothing about this, so I'm gonna ask stupid questions here.
1: So yes and yes. So I think it it can be used a as a shaping about. operation based on what kind of like if you use the outside uh, fiberglass or poly whatever plastic disc on the outside, mm-hmm. that become makes it a lot more aggressive. so it, it's like adding a hard backer to your random orbit sander versus okay. having like uh, a soft backer. On your random so
0: the, this article in FIDE1Working, they're talking about using this method to shape drawer poles or to sand drawer
1: poles. It is more so to give the finished sanding feel for okay. the inside of the drawer pole. Yeah.
0: Well, one yep. of the things that you know, I, I don't have any experience with this particular method, but I do have experience with sanding drawer poles. And yeah. you never seem to get it right. You can get the outside good. You know, let's look at it like a, like a shaker drawer pull. Sure. Very simple. Um, but you can never seem to get all the way into the the round right.
1: part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Where the, where the mushroom head is. So um, maybe that's, maybe I'll take a look at that
1: article. Yeah. So what, what have you, what, what do you do? I just
0: do it by hand. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'll take the. I saw another article from Fine Woodworking a long time ago that Michael Pekovic did, mm-hmm. where he talks about shaping the shaker knobs with your drill press, but you chuck the the the, the, the knob into the drill press and then use a file to help shape the.
1: Yes, you know, so that's more of a cylindrical. Uh. So these drawer pulls are more like a, almost like a bar. It's almost Uh, like a bar. Okay. Yeah, and it's mitered at the corners. And then uh, the article talks about getting and refining the finish on the inside of that bar pull. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Um, I'd give it a try. It sounds really interesting to use to me. And uh, you know, at fifty dollars, it's definitely not cheap, but it is a reusable like chucked up mandrel that, uh, it's not just like some throwaway sandpaper. The kit doesn't just come with the throwaway sandpaper. Can you right, actually have make, the attachment.
0: Can I make a recommendation? Go ahead. Buy metal drawer poles. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're gonna, I, I, I had to say that.
1: To. <laughs> you're going to like my answer for one of the other, one of the next questions is going to be, it, 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 it kind of, it goes along that line of like right. buy metal ones. Um, all right, well, Kevin, I hope that helps. If it were me, I'd go with two hundred and twenty. If I liked it enough, where I was like, hey, I could, you know, I am getting the hang of this, and I feel like I could do a significant amount of shaping, I'd maybe go to like one hundred and fifty or one hundred and twenty grit, and um, yeah, and get another mandrel. All right, it's back to you, man.
0: So, my first question comes from Dave Huffman, and Dave says, "Guys, I've recently been trying to expand my meager wood shop." With budget-friendly older tools, most recently a Delta six-inch jointer to fix up and repair, for example, would you look for? What would you look for when shopping for a used bandsaw? You're hoping to resaw with. Where do you look for parts for older discontinued tools? And any advice for tools that are best to just buy new? Um, Let's talk about bandsaws first. A lot of bandsaws can be gotten used, they're like the 14 inch cast cast iron ones. Unfortunately, they don't lend themselves very well to resawing because they don't have much of a resaw capacity. And when you put those uh, extender throats on them, on the spine yeah. of the saw, and you tension them down, it tends to bend them a little bit. I always had very bad luck on my Jet 14-inch saw with the resaw block. What do they call it, an extender block or resaw block or something like that?
1: Yeah, 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 extension block, yep.
0: Yeah, I never had real good luck with resawing wider boards until I got my Grizzly 17-inch, which I think you still have, don't you, Huey?
1: I do, yeah. I have yeah, the same saw, just great saw, slightly different number, yeah, but yeah, pretty great much saw, same saw. Uh,
0: and that's that's what they call a European style saw. It's a steel body with a steel frame. Um, it doesn't bend very easy, and they typically have very large resaw capacities, so you can get. They actually have 14 inch version of those. A good example would be like the Lagunas and things like that. Um, and they're not that expensive. You can get one for about a thousand dollars new. Yeah. Um, used, I'm not so sure that I, I'm, I'm not as clued into the used market as I guess I could be, but
1: you're definitely going to get older models of used. I mean, people that have the newer models, I mean, I, I typically see them going around $700, on the used market, which isn't really that much away from like a brand new saw. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is that people that tend to take care of their tools and tend to upgrade will get a good dollar amount back from buying. It's typically
0: between 70 and 80% of retail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree.
0: Even for something that might be 10 years old. If it's taken, if it's, if it's well cared for, it should last you know, a lifetime. Yeah. So, um, I know I saw just recently, I was looking at something, I can't remember what it was, but I was looking at something and I saw the the 17 inch saw, like I had a 17 inch grizzly, which was an excellent saw. I love that saw. Yeah. Um, somebody had one for sale for like $1,200. I think it was on Instagram.
1: How is that possible? They're, they're like that much new.
0: Are they? I don't know. The no, the that 17, anymore. seventeen. No, they're, they no, you're right. They're a they're little probably more. you know eighty thousand dollars now. Oh <laughs> um, on. don't know. Actually, I think it was Philip Morley that has on sale uh, was selling his for like thirteen hundred or twelve hundred dollars maybe. Anyways, um those saws can be gotten for for a decent price. It really depends on how much of a resaw capacity that you want. Yeah. The only thing I can really recommend is you know looking at the European-style frames and not the cast iron frames. You yeah, any- I, would,
1: I, I would agree with that. Um, in terms of the used market with bandsaws, it's hit or miss, man. Um, I got my 14-inch Jet bandsaw, which I had to completely repaint uh, put new bearings on, knew a lot of things, and rehaul the whole thing and put a new motor on the thing. Ended up paying, I think, $250 for the saw. And mm-hmm. then I probably put in about 200 dollars into the saw, about $120, dollars $100 for the motor. You know, 80 it's still 200. cheaper
0: than buying a new one.
1: It it is. It is. Yeah. Um so it, it's hit or miss you know, when I bought that jet bandsaw, I knew I was replacing it and I knew what I was getting into. Um, I, I'm just not seeing a lot of used bandsaw, like the 17 inch bandsaws. Now I've seen them, but they typically are going for, you know, 70 to 80% of, of retail, unless it's significantly, if it's a lot older and it's a little beat up, then I can see it going for a lot less. Um, but bandsaws are fairly particularly that European style bandsaw that you're talking about. Those, the,
0: they, they hold their value well.
1: They hold their value well and and there are a lot of parts for them. Uh, he asked here about like older discontinued tools. Can I tell you, Dave, when I'm looking when I was looking at used tools, that was actually one of the main things that I considered. Can I get parts for this thing? Because if I can't get parts for it, there's really no point in me uh e- even going to look at it because what if something has to be replaced on it that the owner doesn't know about and doesn't know to even mention in the listing
0: the thing is most of those most of those saws are a lot of not all but a lot of the parts are very general parts that can be bought from a lot of different places
1: yes not
0: like there's just very unique part to it. You know, at the exception of the frame, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the wheels can be replaced by by something else. The bearings are bearings. The motor's a motor. But even the Um, blade
1: guards, like you might not be able to get the same blade guard.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. And so you start to get into like the blade guards or trunnions and things like that, where those can be, I would imagine, Difficult to get on something that's, you know, my age. Yeah. 30 years old or so. Um,
1: that was that being said, I would say a lot of those tools, though, like particularly as it comes to like the trunnions and whatnot that you mentioned, that uh, if Grizzly is still making bandsaws, maybe not that exact model, um, they might still have a backlog or, or available those know. replacement tools of uh, replacement parts, but you got to just check with the manufacturer.
0: Yeah. I don't know. There, there's a lot of machines that can be, but there's a, there's a guy here locally actually in Fort Wayne, which is about an hour North of where I am that buys a lot. Of, it goes all over the country and buys, uh, industrial grade tools from factories that are closing down and fixes them up new. Yeah. And, uh, Sells them not like for tens of thousands of dollars, they're fairly inexpensive. Maybe they're somewhere like somebody like that where you live, Dave. Uh, that's another place to look because you can find, you know, like some depending on how big your shop is, you know, you can get into like a 24 inch industrial bandsaw that'll, you know, Mm. cut have a quite a big resaw capacity and do very well. So
1: let me ask you this uh, and th- uh, not me, but Dave is asking this uh, any advice, what tools are best to buy new and what tools are best just to buy used if you can get them used?
0: I don't know if I can answer that question. I'm a new tool guy. Mm-hmm. I like to buy new stuff. I don't like somebody else's problems and I like to know that it's being supported by somebody. And yeah. the extra 20 to 30 percent, I'm gonna save. Doesn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. I get it. So everybody's got a different way of looking at that. I know. I know guys that you know won't buy anything but used tools. Right. That every power to you.
1: Yeah. Every used tool that I have bought, I've had to do something too. Yeah. I've had to do something too. And when I was younger and didn't have as much money, I was willing to invest that time. Yeah. Now that I'm a little older.
0: And you're loaded.
1: I don't know about loaded, but...
0: Got all that rocket know. scientist money.
1: <laughs> we don't make that much. Uh, but uh, but yeah, now that I'm older, I I, I I value that time out there. So I most of my tools are new at this point. But I still have a couple of used yeah. tools. Yeah, absolutely. I, I buy sometimes refurbished. So like my, my yeah, Nova drill press, I got that refurbished.
0: That's a little bit different.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure.
0: All right. You have well, the next one, We
1: Okay, so this is from Rick Maples. Hello, gentlemen. I am in the middle of a remodel that will finish with painting the outside. I'm going to make shutters for the windows and would like suggestions on what wood to buy. They will be painted. I live in California and won't have woods like alder or ash or southern yellow pine available. The most common outdoor wood around here is redwood, but that is normally stained and or paint and not painted. Can you use softwood in that application? Would even pine work? I would love your thoughts. So the answer to that last question, would even pine work? Well, you can go on the internet right now and look up pre-made shutters that would be available for painting if you wanted to paint them or even stain them. And you will find pine shutters. I don't know if it's necessarily the best wood, but I do know it's available out there. Uh, pine shutters, and is particularly, I think, if you're using a good sealer and a good uh, a good primer, it'd probably be fine. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it is pine is rot resistant, but it is pine, so just like any other normal wood, you know, over time it will crack and it will likely rot, given enough time. That being said, if I wanted painted shutters, Guy, what I would do is I would buy PVC, PVC, PVC shutters that are pre made and paint them the color that I want. Or just that's buy
0: them the color you want. that Or one, buy them the color you want. Because now yeah. you
1: don't even have to deal with. I know that's not the answer that you want, Rick, but. I've always been of the opinion that when it comes to sort of things that are outdoors, it's the same thing that I sort of feel about like, hey, I'm going to buy PVC or plastic this because because it looks nice. You know, my soffits are PVC or whatever because it's like it just lasts forever, right? That's me personally. If you want a hardwood or a wood, I I don't know, pine would probably be fine. Um, I think, you know, cedar If you wanted to paint it, maybe make them out of cedar. I think that would be decent. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that guy? Are you a PVC shutters guy?
0: Well, yes. But I'm going to try to answer the question. (laughs) So um, I'm not a big outdoor furniture type guy. But I do know what things are made out of that go outdoors. And I I really want to emphasize i think i know what (laughs) is used outdoors i know a couple guys that use white oak okay for outdoor projects i'm thinking more stuff that's readily available uh redwood is available Mm -hmm. Uh, another wood that a lot of people would not consider for outdoors but it's actually very very good for outdoors is mahogany
1: yes yes mm-hmm.
0: whether african or honduran yeah um that's that's a very good choice if you have somebody in your area that sells teak yeah teak. is very expensive um but if i was looking for budget friendly i'd probably look at african mahogany or maybe even white oak
1: yeah uh, it's not going to take
0: that that much wood to make shutters unless you have a whole house for them you got to make 20 of them
1: yeah in yeah.
0: which case if there was 20 of them and i had to make them i would just buy them <laughs> because that's really <laughs> tedious work i made a set of shutters once for an indoor application yeah and it was just oh it was just it was horrible yeah i, don't, all- ever want, I don't ever want to do that again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um kind of makes me think of uh making the light divided doors that I did it was just very tedious work yeah and it's the same thing over and over again and it's not yeah.
0: fun well it's it's not just that it's just that I spent you know 60 hours probably making these things uh-huh and what's my time worth when I could have bought them pre-painted pre or I should say pre-primed for around sixty dollars yeah. For interior door, for interior shuttered doors.
1: So yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of there with you. Like, I mean, but I get it. He wants to make them, right? Yeah. So yeah. he wants to make them. I get it. You know, there yeah. are some things that I could easily get and buy, but I, I want to make them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think those, those would sound great guy. I, I would probably go that route. Here, here, here's the question. but they're painted. They're uh-huh. painted. So uh-huh. redwood, mahogany, I mean, would you want to paint? I don't, I don't know, I guess I would yeah the mahogany
0: way. is mahogany is very much used outdoors and it's painted quite a bit.
1: All right. It's
0: not go. like a weird outlier thing. Um, that's something that was done for a very, very long time and is still done to this day. Right on. A lot okay. of uh, exterior molding and things like that. It's all done. It's all made out of mahogany and they paint it because yeah. it is rot resistance. It's easy to work with and it's, yep. it's, you know, it lasts a long time.
1: Right on. So why yeah. not? Mm-hmm. Well, Rick, I, there you go. Get Rick. mahogany, man. Just paint it. Who cares? You know, yeah. tell them you're rich without telling them you're rich. Exactly. <laughs> paint the mahogany.
0: So, Huy, you've got the next one.
1: That was my next one. I, uh, it was, it was oh, Rick that Maples. Was, that yeah, was it's you, question? man. Yeah. Oh,
0: my gosh. I'm so confused.
1: <laughs> this
0: next question comes to us from Trish. Just Trish. I thought I knew it was Trish. Um, all right. She asks, can you sh- what can you share about your design process? My biggest challenge is coming up with designs or finding plans or redesigning plans that are going to come out terrific without being too far above my skills. The tools I have or my available time. Boy, that's that's a big ask. Uh, Do you ever make prototypes or miniatures first? Do you do your plan with Illustrator, SketchUp, Uh, rhino or question mark i don't know what rhino is Hmm. or do you just make sketches and sketches on paper where do you keep your notes so you can recreate the same results as she says for context i discovered woodworking during the pandemic and fell in love with it uh, it's a wonderful hobby for me, not a career or a side hustle. I'll never make lots of the same item for selling, but making only one doesn't work because I don't get good at it until I make at least three. Uh, <laughs> That's a
1: good one. Yeah. That, I like that. that is Trish. Good. Um,
0: <laughs> design process. Um, if I'm going to make a piece, let's say, I'm going to make a, a dining room table. First, right. I'm going to ask the people that are using it what they've seen that they like. In this case, if this yes. is for you, Trish, you know, what have you seen elsewhere that you like? And what I'll do is I'll take like a an aggregate of maybe four or five different designs, and I'll mix them all up into one. I'll put them in a blender, mix them up, and this thing gets spit out. Yeah, And... I do quite a bit with SketchUp. I always have, but I also do stuff with prototypes and models. I make a lot. I've made a lot of stuff out of uh, foam board in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, which does work well. And the main reason for and that that you can you can buy a couple sheets of that for you know. Well, at the time, it was maybe 20 or $30. They were like $10 a sheet. And you can cut it up and tape it together with, with duct tape or, or packing tape and get an idea of how it's going to look. The, the, the problem with sketches and even SketchUp is it doesn't give you a real idea of size and proportions as much as something for real. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've planned something out to the ninth degree and then put it together and go, eh. And then had to pull it apart and redo things because it didn't yeah. look the way I wanted. Yeah. I don't know. What yeah. what do you do, Hui?
1: So I will admit that I've never made a prototype. Now, I've made small sections of piece as a prototype like hey i'm gonna make this small section see if i like the sizing of it and whatnot like so, so like for instance like molding or something you know make a prototype yeah. um, do a test piece it's more like a test piece than a prototype actually I've, I've done plenty of that but i've never made a prototype and a lot of what i do is sketch up or shape or 3d uh so some type of 3d modeling software and rhino is just a 3d modeling software Yeah, I figured that. an expensive one nonetheless but it is a 3d modeling software I, me personally, if I were you, Trish, I'd probably start with the SketchUp, uh, make or the free SketchUp because it's readily available and tons of tutorials out there.
0: The only thing I can recommend you, Trish, if you're going down the rabbit hole of design software, stay the hell away from SketchUp. Start using something like Fusion 360 or AutoCAD or something like that.
1: Okay. Yeah, because, because you,
0: those those skills are going to be transferable from product to product. The stuff you learn in SketchUp is it isn't transferable anywhere.
1: Yeah. True. Okay. So. Understandable. Well, Fusion three sixty is free as well, right? Yeah. For for hobby yeah. yeah. For yeah. hobby yeah, yeah. Um, but my design. So I'll take, for instance, the sideboard that I just uh, built. It came down to my wife giving me inspirational pictures, things that she liked, things that she didn't like, things that I wanted to add, little details here. Like, for instance, the beading around the doors and the drawers, I wanted to add that. Um, And then kind of adapting it within uh, SketchUp or some type of 3D modeling uh, realm to the length that I want, the height that I want, and the sizing of the doors and the drawers that I want. Um, you know, what I'm transferring over into like my quote unquote own design are the sort of elements, the design elements, the motifs, the things that I want to incorporate into the design within that, the constraints of where it has to be and what purpose it serves. So really that, 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 that's kind of how I design things is what do you like about these pieces over here and how can we incorporate that into the new one? given the constraints of the size and the space that it has to fill and the purpose it has to fulfill.
0: Yeah, you really have to look at, you know, form and function and uh, form follows function. So what's it going to do? Make sure it's going to do everything you want it to do, whether it's a table or a bookcase or a credenza or mm-hmm. a media center, whatever whatever the case may be. Um, that it's going to fulfill the needs that you have right. and then worry about the wants later, um, yeah, as far yeah. as the design goes but i would I would spend a lot of time looking you know on the internet and looking at at you know do a Google search, look at the images tab, and just look at different things and try to get a the the other thing is the only thing i can the other thing I can recommend is. Don't search too much. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you'll, just, you'll, you'll paralyze yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you give yourself too many choices, then it can be a little bit much. I, I, I've worked with a couple guys that they sit there and sweat over every little detail. And because of it, they can never get started on the project. It's like, sure. aren't you done yet? No, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do this. No, just build it. Just build yeah. it. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Right. If right. you make a mistake, that's okay. Um, everybody makes mistakes. It's not a big deal. Or if you ruin a board, okay, we'll just get another one. Yeah. Um, so that that's the biggest piece of advice I can give you is just find something you like and don't spend eight months trying to figure out how to build it. Just start building it.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: And learn as you go along. Oh.
1: Copying so. the best form of flattery, right? Yeah. See something yeah. you like, do it. Yeah. All
0: right. All right. right. All right. Wait, you've got All right, the, this, your last question.
1: This is my last question. Yeah, this is from Chuck Lovelady. Hey, guys, as a hobbyist, I like Chuck. projects. Chuck, yes. Yeah, we know he's, Chuck. he's a regular on the show. He's around as a hobbyist, I like projects where I have to figure out something new, but not too extreme. Sometimes I will modify a plan to make it more functional, more interesting, or just functional so
0: have, or feng shui
1: or just, just so I don't get bored. Most of the time, I don't regret it, but occasionally I do kick myself. As professional woodworkers, and I, Chuck, I thank you for using that term loosely with us. As professional woodworkers, how do you balance the, the need to be efficient and the desire to be a creative? And I think this is a great question to follow what Trish had asked. Yeah. So I'm happy that you asked yours first guy. Yeah, so yeah, design by paralysis, right? That's what we were talking about earlier is is just you 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 nitpick about every single thing that you end up kind of getting nowhere. And so that's when You become extraordinarily inefficient. Um, Whether you are a hobbyist or if you're doing this professionally, it can be extraordinarily inefficient if you are just nitpicking about every single little detail. And so I think that's where uh, sometimes I struggle is particularly with joinery. I can sometimes overthink it. I can sometimes make it too elaborate, right? So it's just because I want to try something new or I want to try to make something um, that I hadn't done before and, uh, you know, sharpen my teeth on a new technique or whatever. And the truth is, is sometimes, uh, you know, we do that. And that's great. That I think that's, that's a fun thing to do as a hobbyist. But professionally it becomes extraordinarily inefficient because, you know, a lot of times clients just want a functional table, you know, and if they see the joinery or they don't see the joinery or if I, you know, it's like, oh yeah, great. Yeah. You, you wedged it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, I think sometimes a loose tenon like a domino works perfectly fine, especially if you're not going to see it and the client doesn't care. And you know, why, why would I, why would I not use a tool that I have just so that I can try to be a little bit more creative and, Showing you know my prowess or something like that, I don't know what do you what are your thoughts on this? I mean I, I'm sure you get that quite a bit um with your design being in in the office
0: if you look at at a hobbyist level, that's mm-hmm. what it is. You're a hobbyist, yep. Yep. and it's okay to sweat the details like you know do I put a Martin, my Morrison Tenon do I do? a haunch mortise and tenon. Do I do a mortise and tenon? Do I do this? Do I do that? And when you're doing stuff professionally, you only sweat the things that the customer is going to see. They're never going to see joinery. So the only thing you concern yourself about joinery wise is, is it going to hold up? not mortise or tenon or how big of a mortise and tenon. It's just I'm not doing mortise and tenons, period, because it takes too damn long. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to know it's there but me anyways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have to weigh, again, the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. Uh, A really good example is, you know, when I was a, a hobbyist, I'd be very concerned about what the underneath of my tables looked like or the inside of a cabinet. Right. Now, I just don't care because I know my customers don't get on their backs, crawl underneath the table, and look up at the bottom of the table. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Just build it so it looks good on the outside. So it looks like a million bucks right. and it's going and to it hold functions. up, it functions the way it's supposed to, and it's going to hold up, you know, the, and it's going to stand the test of time. I'm not saying that you've got this really ugly, crappy underneath, but. You know, so, you know, if I've, I've got some boards I'm working with and I've got one that's got a, a big knot in it, if it doesn't have the big knot on the other side, don't care.
1: Flip it on the underside. Yeah. Yep. Fill it if you knot. want to stabilize it, yeah.
0: I don't even, no, who cares? <laughs> it's it's underneath the table.
1: Com- agreed.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, things like that. Um, worry about the things that the customer is going to see. So that's where that's where what it really boils down to. And that was the hardest thing for me to let go was, you know, I was so always bogged down in the details of things. I couldn't see the bigger picture, but now I'm not that I see the bigger picture, but I had to have a better <laughs> understanding of it. Yeah. And it, you no, know, especially with the amount of volume of stuff I do now versus what I used to do back in the day. And I do a couple pieces a year. Right now I'm <laughs> if people come up and ask me about drawings I did yesterday and I don't remember doing them
1: because I'm just sure.
0: doing so many pieces now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If
0: that, it's, uh, does that make sense?
1: No, it, it, it does. It does sweat the things that matter to the client.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You
1: know, hey, and if your client cares about, okay. So it, if, if, if your client goes to you and says, "Hey, I have a reproduction piece and I want you to reproduce this piece exactly as is." And that piece has dovetails in it. Then by golly, that's what the client wants, right? But yeah. if they don't care, right? And it and I think if you you know, if they're willing to pay for your time to do that, by all means, do it. But if if ultimately it's not something that they care about, There's there's really no need unless you want to cut your teeth on that skill and they're willing to pay for that, then yeah, go ahead. And as a hobbyist, we do that all day because it's a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to sweat the small stuff.
0: Probably one of the biggest things when you're, you're talking about inefficiencies when you're building stuff like that is what I was talking about before. And the other question was, just build it. Yeah. Don't stand around trying to figure out the most efficient way to do it. I would rather spend 20 minutes fixing a mistake than half an hour figuring out what to do.
1: So that I wouldn't make the mistake. Yeah. yeah. So, that I, so
0: I don't make the mistake.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Um, you know, just design it, build it. Yeah. You know, and most of the times that, you know, I, I, when I was back there in the, in, in the shop at work, most of the time, I just built stuff. I didn't have plans. I didn't have anything. I just
1: built it. Well, you, know, you kind of get into that mode of like, I know how this goes together.
0: Yeah. Like, you know how and it goes I know together. This is, work. this is the foot. I, I was always, you know, from from the, the company I work for, they said, you know, the size they give you is the footprint, the total footprint. Yeah. Okay. That's all I need to know. I got height, <laughs> width, length. I'm good and I've got a picture and I just build stuff. Yeah. That's it. As long as it doesn't exceed those measurements, I'm fine. <laughs> Nobody be, be, because the, the the customer knew they weren't going to get exactly what was in the picture. They knew right. it was going to be very close and the quality was going to be good and it's going to fit these dimensions and it's going to fit where it goes. So, you know, they trusted me enough to just build it. And when I got the thing I just start. I just made a, you know, within five minutes, I was cutting parts for it. Yeah. I didn't sit there for an hour with a sheet of paper and scratch my head going, okay, so what about this? So if I, I need an extra half inch here, nah, just oversize everything by six, seven inches, you're fine. <laughs> I'm serious.
1: Yeah. I'm serious. Cut it down when you're ready. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I hear you, man. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I bet you it's pretty, pretty relaxing to just go and build, man. Just I don't know. Sometimes I get wrapped around the axle about the small details of things. How am I going to? And I think I care more about the process than the actual finished product. To be yeah, and
0: that's 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 a that's a hobbyist mindset. You do care about the process more about than the actual. Finished product. Yeah, it's it's all about going out in the garage on a Saturday afternoon, turning on a football game mm-hmm. with that in the background, and you know making some sawdust. That's that's have to me that's heaven. Yeah, when I die, that's that's what I want to do. I want to <laughs> have a continual football game while I while I build furniture in my garage. that I would yep. I would be happy with that. So right on. All right. So I've got the last question. And this comes from Bert. I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name. It's spelled P-L-O-R-P-L-O-U-R-D. Plord.
1: plored. Yeah, that sounds about Plord. right. Bert. Yeah. Bert Plord. Says, yeah.
0: thank you so much for covering my question about building a butcher block. I was shocked that guy could speak French. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he says... I should not be surprised as guy is a French name pronounced key. That guy. I didn't
1: know. Yeah.
0: However, I'm not familiar with the expression he used, but he is excused since he prefaced it with pardon my French. Ah, eh, I,
1: <laughs> I let out
0: a dirty word. Guy, you are forgetting. But if you want to see some really good French salty words, punctuate a thought, I am here for you. Anyways. Uh, I do have a question. I would eventually like to purchase a drill press. I really like the Nova Voyager, which you just mentioned you have, We Yep. And it's direct programmable drive. My question is, what is the advantage of a freestanding versus bench mount drill press? I can see the advantage of a bench mount as it can provide storage space below, but why would any woodworker prefer a freestanding unit? I believe I saw in Hui's video, he does have the Nova drill press and Burke from Thailand.
1: Wow. All right. So
0: I had a 17 inch craftsman floor standing drill press. Yeah. I now have a 13 inch Iron City bench mounted drill press. The biggest difference is one was a 13 inch and one was a 17 inch and that is the distance between the bit and the pillar okay that's what you really have to determine. What's the NOVA
1: I'm looking it up. I'm looking it okay up. So,
0: so that's what you really have to look at. The other thing is is the the quill travel. In other yep. words, when I when I pull the handle down, how far down does a drill bit go? So like at work we have a powermatic. And it's a, I think it's a 20-inch. I'm probably wrong on that. So there's a good distance. about right. There's a good distance between the drill bit and the pillar, and it's got a six-inch travel on the quill.
1: Yeah, mine has so, a six-inch travel on mine. So you
0: can pull the handle down, and it goes six inches deep. Um yeah. Mine only goes, I think, two-and-a-half or two-and-three-quarters or something like that. Um, the direct drive, I, I, I do not have the Nova, so I can't speak directly to it, but I do know a little bit about it cause I looked at it at one time and right. I said, my God, that is just extraordinarily expensive. And for a woodworker, it's not worth it. If you're a yep. metal worker, maybe. Yeah.
1: Yes. But no, I totally you, agree. Totally agree. For a yep.
0: woodworker, that thing is overkill
1: yeah so um, mine is a 18 inch by the way 18 inch, 18 inch? Uh, throat yeah. yeah
0: so that thing was built for metalworking
1: yes it, it is it's more um, of a metalworking drill
0: yeah place. it's got all kinds of fancy guis or a graphic user interface yeah on mm-hmm. you know you tell it you're going to drill this Big of a hole, this deep, and this type of material. Yeah. And it'll tell you what speed to set it at and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. On mm-hmm. um, my, um, my old craftsman, it had a little lid that I flipped up. Yeah. And, and it says hole belt. size speed. And I flipped the thing over and I changed a few belts. And a minute later, I was going. It wasn't yeah. that big of a deal. And it wasn't eighteen thousand dollars; it was like four or five hundred bucks. Well,
1: I think the Nova is more like uh, fifteen hundred, somewhere around there. I don't know; it's not cheap for a drill. It's still a lot lot of money for a drill press.
0: Still a lot of money for a drill press. So, I guess what I am looking, what I I guess what the the advice I am going to give you, Bert, is decide what you are going to do with the drill press. Are you just drilling holes in regular thickness wood? and if mm-hmm. so how big of a throat do you need a yep. and b how big of a travel do you need on the quill those should be your two biggest things the other Amen. thing is yep. if you're if you're doing something like drilling the tops of table legs the advantage of a floor mounted one is that right. you can turn the table on its side and have you know all that room underneath it while it's hard to do on the bench mounted one you can Depending on how you have it, you can, you know, spin the head around and you, you got to yeah. do all these gymnastics. It's not worth it. Yeah. Um, if I was like a, the, the the main reason I would want a really good drill press like the Powermatic is if I was a chairmaker. Sure.
1: Yeah. Then mm-hmm. I would
0: really be concerned about it. But I'm not a chairmaker. So I'm just drilling holes and yeah. stuff for the most part.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there you have it.
1: Yeah, wait. So, so I completely agree everything Why you said. Did you about buy the Nova, the Nova. I'm sorry. Say again. Why did you buy the Nova over? It was a discon- It was not discontinued. I'm sorry. It was a refurbished return. Oh, okay. And you got a really good deal on it. I got a really good deal on it. And yeah. actually, when I was looking for a drill press, I was looking for a bench mounted drill press because I did not see the need to have because I got a lathe. So if I have to drill the like if I need to drill the yeah. end of yeah I just do it on a lathe right yeah so like I just didn't see the need for the floor standing but the only refurbished model that they had and it was it was there for really good price I, I think I paid like eight hundred dollars for it That's which is a lot of money it's a lot of money for a drill press the yeah. paramatic is expensive too is it's a lot yeah um but so and and I think it was it ended up being um their older version so that i think that they came out with a newer version and so this was the older version that was a benchmark uh that was a i think
0: i think i paid 249 for my drill press brand so the
1: drill press that i had before that was a harbor (laughs) freight drill drill press and there was nothing wrong with it (laughs) so i i totally replaced a drill press that had nothing no issues whatsoever It, it, it was i mean it was first world problem right like yeah buy it a tool that to replace a tool that you don't need to be, be replacing right so you know sure, sure. but but i, I think what you said about uh uh quill travel and throat and whether or not you need to do like long table legs that that should be the answer to yeah. to what
0: type don't of don't, don't concern yourself with horsepower you know three-quarter horsepower yeah. drill press is going to work just as well as a Fifteen horsepower drill press. The the bit only spins so fast, and if you've got a crappy, unsharp bit, it's still not going to cut what you need it yep. to. So yep. my my recommendation
1: there is to have good drill bit,
0: drill good
1: bleh, good drill bits. That being said, not having to change belts, it is again a first world problem. Like it, yes. was it an issue to do with the Harbor Freight drill press that mine I had? not I don't, I
0: don't change, dr- change belts on mine. <laughs> It's got a, it's got a little handle
1: on it. Oh, nice. Okay. It's okay.
0: A, the, what they call a Reeves drive. It's like on a like a lathe. It's a Reeves drive.
1: Oh, you've got a Reeves drive. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So
0: I just pull the handle down. It's got an LED display and everything. It tells me the RPMs and. It's very nice. It was, uh, I said, brand new. It was two forty nine.
1: That's great, man. Yep. That's a well, it's steel. Only a thir- it's only
0: a thirteen inch with a two and a half inch quill travel.
1: Steel. It's steel. Uh, that's right. That's right. Steel City, right? Yeah.
0: Who's no yeah, longer yeah. in business? Right. Right. They're they're long gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I do remember that drill press. Now I remember when you made the drill press table for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a tank. I've had it forever. Yeah. Works really well. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, so what, do sho- what do you got going on the shop? What do you got
1: going on the shop, we? Oh man, I just sent the doors for the china cabinet that I've been working on for the past year uh, to the glass place to get the glass cut for it. So I got the glass. So it's all assembled. Everything. I got the glass cut for it. I ordered the putty, the Sarco uh, dual compound putty. Just go to Ace some-
0: Hardware and buy some glazing compound.
1: I mean I just bought it online and it's gonna ship to me. It's same go, to the, go to Ace Hardware. Um you're an, I elite, got some, you're an elitist. Uh, maybe a little bit. Um Sarko, <laughs> <laughs> dual, dual compound. Uh, oh, you know what that uh, is. I got the glazing points or the glazer <laughs> points and whatnot. And <laughs> but uh but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it myself, man. I'm gonna glaze the windows myself and then uh, oh and uh, a little bit of the powder to tint the uh, compound, and then I started on the crown molding for this piece as well. I'm going to do it as uh, an entire piece crown molding, not like install one. So uh, I'm using a triangular block to hold up the crown, and then there's a listel on top and beading on the bottom, and then a little strip on the bottom of that. And then I'm going to attach- Is this
0: for you or is this no?
1: For- this is for a client. For a client, yeah, right. yeah. So, okay. what do you got going on, man?
0: Nothing. I I, I think last... was I talking about the the cabinets I made for my laundry room last time? Yeah, you
1: were. Are you still working on this?
0: Well, (laughs) I I went to do the finish on them. I bought some Uh um, conversion varnish. And it came and I got started. And I was like, well, I got to cut the backs. I didn't have enough plywood
1: to do the Plywood for the backs. Yeah.
0: So I scrapped it. That was this last weekend. Okay. I think last time we talked, I had just finished them and I still need to do the sanding and stuff. So I, I did sand them. I did all the surface prep on them. They're ready to go, but I needed another piece of plywood, which I just got yesterday. I got the rest of the plywood so I can uh, finish the back. I can sand the backs. I'm not going to install them yet. Um, not till after I, I do the finish.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, just to uh, get all in the corners and everything. Yeah,
0: makes it a lot easier. a lot less blowback.
1: It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, um the finish can go all the way through, right?
0: Yeah. So I still need to put the finish on them yet, but then it's not going to be until mid-January totally we install them, so I'm not in any big, huge
1: hurry. Well, I we're right in the heart them of them. the holidays and whatnot. Yeah. My, my wife's about to give birth, man, February. Again? Our third. Do you know who yeah. the father is? Supposedly, me. Oh, <laughs>
0: I actually—I don't know if I—I said this last time. My my son had a baby. Yeah, my grandfather. Well, again. I don't know if
1: you said it on the podcast, but you did tell no, me. I'm so. a
0: grandfather again.
1: Sorry, 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 listeners. Guy shares a lot more with me than he shares with <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, one of the guys at work had a baby. I got to hold the baby yesterday.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, which makes me very happy because I haven't held my grandson yet. I can't go over. The, I can't go over the house because they have
1: cats. And you're allergic. That's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, I will. I will keel over and die if I go Ooh, in the
1: house. So that's severe, huh?
0: Yeah, I get an asthmatic reaction. My lungs close up. It's it's very frightening. Anyways, so, <laughs> but I will get to see him on Christmas.
1: Fun. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: So is it a boy or a girl? Do you want to share or do you, it's none of our listeners business?
1: No, it's a girl. Yeah. We're having a girl. Do you have a name? Yeah. We're going to name her Vivian. Vivian.
0: That's right. You mentioned that. That's a good name. It's a good name. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I think that's enough fun for this show. And uh, I hope that everybody's going to hear this after Christmas. Merry christmas. so i hope everybody has a good christmas and had a good christmas and santa was good to them so uh we want to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on itunes and all our patrons from patreon we really do appreciate it and remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community so if you have woodworking questions you'd like answered you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DMs through Instagram at woodshoplife. And I can be found on Guy's Shop on YouTube and most other media platforms as Guy's Woodshop. What about you, Huey?
1: AlabamaWoodworker.com. And all the links to my socials should be there. There you go.
0: All right. Very good. And uh, have a great Christmas, Huey, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, Merry Christmas, man. Bye.